you know, as I was uh, kind of scrolling through social media this week and um, looking at various comments uh, on, on Facebook and what have you, it's kind of it's very interesting because you get a real uh, sampling of of just how people are are dealing uh, with the present situation, with being cooped up for most of the day. And it's very interesting to just get insights into how various people are, are dealing with that. There's a lot of house cleaning going on. There's a lot of baking uh, and cooking and just various things that people wouldn't normally do. A lot of artwork with kids and just actually some really cool stuff. Um, but as I was looking through the comments, one comment from one of my Facebook friends really struck me um, as, as quite profound, actually. And she said the following. She said, if you put your ear to the ground, you can hear the sound of idols falling across the country. If you put your ear to the ground, you can hear the sound of idols falling across the country. And I thought, wow, that, that's, that's really true. There's something very profound about that. Because there's no question that during this uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic, we, in a sense, are being stripped bare. Uh, we're being forced to get back to the essentials of life. Uh, and in a sense, we're being stripped down. There's, there's a kind of, there's a pruning going on in society right now. Um, and so, you know, as I read this Facebook comment, um, I began asking God, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to share this week? What do you want me to um, be sharing with our church, with the community? Uh, where in your word do you want me to draw from? Um, and so as, as I was praying that, he led me to Isaiah chapter 44. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, hopefully you do have your Bibles, um, have them with you every week when we tune in for this service, because as always, we base our beliefs and our lives and what the Word of God teaches. So um, grab your Bibles and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 44. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 20. So that's Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 20. I'll give you a second and then we're going to, we're going to read this together. <clears throat> Isaiah 44. Verse 9, oh, sorry, American translation, Isaiah. Okay, sorry, if you were wondering, Isaiah, what's that? Isaiah, there we go. All right, here we go. 44, verse 9 through 20. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up from them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with the chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm 
I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its cools. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? So, it's a fascinating passage uh, that we've just read there from Isaiah. And it's really quite blunt. Uh, Isaiah is being very blunt here. And it's actually what some uh, Bible scholars have called a taunt song. Um, a song designed to, to taunt the enemy, to taunt the opposition, to, to make fun of, to ridicule uh, the enemies. Um, and it kind of reminds me of um, uh, an English uh, football game, soccer game as you guys would call it. Um, I'm guessing probably not many of you have had chance to, to go to uh, an English football game. Um, but <clears throat> one of the <laughs> amazing things about uh, English football games is the ability of 20,000 plus people uh, to come up with collective songs on the spot that they will chant. And most of the time, often these songs uh, are either to, to bolster their own team up and to give their team some support, but also they're often to make fun of, of the opposing either team or uh, perhaps a specific player. Um, and it reminded me of an incident many years ago when I was, I was watching my, um, my home, home team, Blackburn Rovers, and they were playing uh, another team called Blackpool. And I was in the, uh, the stalls with, with uh, thousands of other fans. And uh, the, the goalkeeper for the opposing team, a fairly young guy, you know, late 20s, early 30s maybe, but he happened to be a little bit thinning on top. And, and the fans took this and they made a song about making fun of the fact that he didn't have much hair on his head. And it became this, this giant, you know, you've got 20,000 people singing this song, which unfortunately I cannot repeat for you. Um, because there's language in it that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, but it's quite, quite incredible. And of course, they were doing, it was a taunt song to make fun of the goalkeeper, to perhaps put him off or to you know, um, get, get him mad a little bit so that he wouldn't be on top of his game. Um, it's always struck me as quite amazing how they do this. It's like, how did 20,000 people just instantaneously learn this song? It's like, did you, did you have a choir rehearsal before the game and just work on some harmonies and things? But, um, but that's what's going on here. With, with Isaiah, it's, he, he, it's, it's a taunt song. That's basically what he's doing here. And it's funny because if you read some of the previous chapters of Isaiah leading up to chapter 44 that we read today, it's full of rich uh, prophetic poetry, you know, just beautiful language uh, and, you know, just, just wonderful prose. And then we get to chapter 44 here, verse sort of nine onwards or six onwards, really. And, and Isaiah is saying essentially, okay, Enough of the flowery language, enough of the rich metaphors. The gloves are coming off. I'm rolling my sleeves up. It's time for me to level with you, and I'm going to tell you, tell you it how it is. You know, he's saying, I'm not going to pull any punches anymore. And basically, what Isaiah is, is saying in this passage, um, if I can put it rather crudely, is he's saying, all you people who create idols, these mini-gods, um, and worship them, he said, you're all idiots basically what he's saying. Um, he's saying you're first class fools. 
uh, and that they're, they're deluded. Uh, and so, yes, he's taunting them. He's taunting all the pagan nations and the fellow nations that, that believe in all these false gods. And so <clears throat> Isaiah, what he does is he hits the road running in verse 9. Um, he doesn't gently ease people in, you know, and be like, well, perhaps, you know, if, um, them, them worshipping these gods and these false idols will, will lead them to the one true God if we just give them chance. No, he's like, I don't have time for that. I've got to lay it down as it is. And he says in verse 9, he says, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. So right off the bat, he says, they're nothing. What they treasure is worthless. They are blind, they are ignorant, and they are shameful. And that's all just in one verse. Okay, so Isaiah, again, he's not pulling any any punches here. He really wants people to understand the, the futility, the stupidity of this. And, you know, he says, all who make idols are nothing. And that word for nothing in the Hebrew, which is what Isaiah was writing in, that word is tahu. And it's the same Hebrew word that is used right at the beginning of Genesis, right in chapter one, right in the opening verses there. It's the same word. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And listen here, now the earth was formless and empty. There's that word again, tohu. Um, I, I don't think this is coincidental because nothing in the Bible is coincidental. Uh, but instead, I think Isaiah is making a point here. He's trying to make the point and a contrast that God is the only one who can create something from nothing. Only God can do that. As the Latin expression is, ex nihilo, creates something from nothing. That God is life itself and is the only being, the only thing in existence that does not need something outside of itself to have life. Only God can create like this. And Isaiah is contrasting that with the idols we have, pointing out that these are they're just man-made inventions and figurines that have no life in of themselves. And he's, he's making the point that we who create our little gods are not the same as Yahweh, the creator, the one true God. And in fact, when we, we attempt to shape the divine, all we accomplish is the material. And it's ludicrous to worship that. So after it sort of, he hits the road running, um, Isaiah, he then proceeds in almost excruciating detail um, to explain how these idols are made and constructed. And he starts with the blacksmith in verse 12, who he says, takes a tool and works it uh, with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. So again, Isaiah, he's making a contrast here between these false gods and who makes them and the one true God. And he's making the point that these so-called gods that so many people worship, they're made by human beings. They're made by fallible people like you and me. Human beings who get tired, who get weary, who get thirsty. And contrast that with God, who never gets tired, who never gets weary. And in fact, if you go back four chapters, go back to verse, uh, sorry, chapter 40 of Isaiah, and look at what he says in um, uh, verse 28 here, Isaiah 40, 28. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding 
no one can fathom. So he will not grow tired or weary like we do. And there's, like I said, a direct contrast between the one true God and all these man-made gods that we design and worship. After he goes through the blacksmith, he goes to the carpenter. Um, and the method the carpenter has in verse 13, the carpenter measures with a, a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form. Human form in all its glory that may dwell in a shrine. So Isaiah is saying, do you, do you see the insanity of this? You make these, these human shaped pieces of wood and metal and stone. And then you put them in a shrine and say, ah, this is our God. Let's worship this. Isaiah said, you're idiots. Come on, guys. Can you see the idiocy of this? And not only that, but he goes on to point out that these same materials that they use to make their gods are also what they use to fuel their fire and to cook with. In verse 16, he says, half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god his idol. He bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. It's, you know, I, I can almost hear the, the frustration in Isaiah's writing here. It's almost like he's saying, folks, are you that dense? Really, are you that deceived? And on top of that, he adds, and you're, you're making these gods, these idols, from the leftovers of your material. It's not even like you start with that. It's like, first I'm going to make a fire and cook my food, and oh, I've got a little bit of wood left here. Well, let's, let's make a God out of it. Let's, let's worship this. So Isaiah, he's, he's making his case here. He's saying, look at, look at the process of how these, these mini-gods or these no-gods, as one translation calls them, are, are created. And finally, in verses 18 to 20, Isaiah, he gets back to his original point. He gets back to pointing out the, just the, the, the stupidity of this. He says in verse 18 and following, They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds closed so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? I love that. It's so. It's just so blunt. Shall I, shall I bow down to a block of wood? He says, such a person feeds on ashes. He's saying, you might as well just be stuffing your face with ashes rather than Doritos. Okay, just ashes. Okay. And he says that a deluded heart misleads this kind of person. That he cannot save himself or, or even have the insight to say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Like I said, Isaiah, not pulling any punches. Now, you might be sitting at home right now. Comfy in your PJs, coffee in hand. And you might be thinking, yeah, <laughs> well, people were people were pretty dumb back then, huh? I mean, gosh, worshipping blocks of wood and pieces of metal and stones and caught up in all that superstition and uh, sky fairies. <sighs> Good thing we're not like that, huh? I mean, we're, we're far more enlightened now, aren't we? But are we? Are, are, are we so, so different? Are we so much more enlightened in the year 2020? Or do we have 
just as many idols and false gods as they did in the ancient world. Earlier I mentioned that this whole situation with the coronavirus was in a sense stripping us bare as a society that it was it's, it's removing all the pork from our lives if you like uh, and that this pruning is actually revealing the idols in our own lives what are things right now that you feel like you can't do without or that your life feels empty without now that you don't have it right now what are some of the things you're like oh my gosh this is driving me crazy that I can't do this or I don't have this maybe Maybe some of those things are idols in your life that you need to put in check or remove from your life. You know, the thing is, modern day idols, most of the time, they don't look like blocks of wood or pieces of metal or little, little people-shaped things. They're far, they're far subtler. You know, they, they're far cleverer and more deceptive in their ways. You know, they can look like all kinds of things. Sometimes we don't realize... Uh, the things that are idols in our lives. But you know what some modern day idols can look like? They can look like busyness. Busyness. Just filling all your time up. Not leaving any time for the Lord. They can look like overworking. Overscheduling yourself. It can look like putting your career over your family. Or getting straight A's in school. It can look like celebrity worship. There's a reason they call that show American Idol. How do you feel now that there, there are no sort of live sports essentially going on? There's no Red Sox games or basketball or hockey. And you know, for some people, that might even mean that they, they don't really know what to talk about anymore. You know? Uh, yeah, uh, no Sox games going on. Um, uh, medium regular, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I have nothing to talk about. You know, it's like, what... <laughs> Now there's no sports going on. What do you do? You know, you, are you going crazy because there's no games for you to watch? That You can't just plant yourself in front of the TV or go to the stadium too? What about, you know, hitting the bars and restaurants and things like that? Is that, is that really bothering you right now? Even the political hype and obsession with the next election has somewhat taken a back seat. So you can't even um, obsess over politics like we were all doing before this virus hit us. You know, the fact is that for many, many of us, our jobs, our finances, our lives have been rocked and shaken by current situation. Wall Street is, is jumping up and down the stocks like an Olympic trampolinist. And I know I don't think trampolining is a, an Olympic sport yet. But what are, what are all these things I just listed? And I could go on, I could, so many more things we could list as possible modern day idols. What do all these things have in common? Well, I think two things. First of all, all those things I just listed, they are all human, man-made gods of our own design. Those are all things that we have created ourselves. And the second thing is, it's a reminder that we're not really in control of anything. They highlight, actually, how, how fragile our lives really are, along with the world systems that we live in, and how precarious those systems are, and how easily they can be toppled. And you think about the speed that this has happened in, how these things have changed from, say, a month ago. It's really quite staggering. But it needs to be a reminder to us that we're not really as in control as we think we are. And, you know, the thing is, it's human nature 
to create gods for ourselves. It really is, because by doing that, we can avoid, or we think, we can avoid having to be answerable to a truly transcendent God. That we, we think, we, we trick ourselves into thinking that we can avoid being answerable to the one true God to whom we owe our very existence. And so, you know, whether you believe in God or not, okay, because believers do this as much as, as non-believers, but especially for atheists, for example, our tendency is to create and forge our own gods so we can create the illusion that we are somehow really in control of our lives. Let me say that. Our tendency, let me say it again, our tendency is to create and forge our own gods so that we can create the illusion that we are somehow in control of our lives. And you know what? It's an illusion that works most of the time. It really does. It's great. It's a great illusion because it is effective probably 90, 95% of the time. Because when life is going along and operating normally, it really does seem that we are masters of our own fate. And that the world is in our hands, that we can achieve anything that we put our minds to. When things are going normally and, and chugging along and our schedules are full and, and we're working you know, around the clock, we don't have to think too deeply about what life's really about. So in a sense, God, for many of us, becomes an afterthought. Of course, until we find ourselves in the days such as the ones we are living in right now. You know, Isaiah, he reminds us that without the humility to recognize our own fragility and need for God, as he says, we know nothing, we understand nothing, our eyes have been plastered over so that we cannot see, and that our minds are closed and cannot understand. So what's the answer? What is the answer to our present day situations? We find ourselves kind of um, closed up in our homes and normal life is so, so disruptive. What is the answer? Well, Isaiah, he gives us um, a good chunk of the answer in the verses leading up to the passage that we just read. Um, so we read verses 9 through 20 from chapter 44. But if you go back to verses 6, 7 and 8 of Isaiah 44. Listen to what he says. He says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. So the one true God is our rock. He is what we can anchor ourselves to. He is immovable. He will not be swayed by what is going on. And he says, I am the first and the last. You know who that sounds a whole lot like? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Because listen, listen to what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22. All right, the very, very last chapter of the whole entire Bible. And in Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, listen to what Jesus himself says. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 
And then listen, here it is. This is Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the God who saves. There is none like him. Only he is worthy of true worship. Nothing else in our lives is worthy of the dedication and worship except Jesus. Not these man-made idols and mini-gods that we chase after throughout our lives. And verse 8 there of Isaiah, going back to Isaiah, is so, so crucial here. And I want you to imagine Jesus saying this to your hearts right now. I mean, imagine Jesus saying, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? God knows all things. Jesus knows all things and says he's always known that 2020 would be the year that this would all go down, that, that we would be in the situation we're in right now. He's always known and he's saying, do not tremble, do not be afraid. I am your rock. So use this time to get to know Jesus better, to spend more time in his presence and also ask yourselves, what are the idols in my life? What is God trying to teach me right in the midst of what we're going through now? What is the Lord trying to strip bare in my own heart so that I can truly live for him instead of worshiping these idols in my life that will ultimately bring me nothing of lasting worth? Let's pray. Father, you are the only person who is worthy of worship. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us your son, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for us, Lord. He brought us back into communion with you, Lord, and that he is due all worship and praise. And I just pray, Lord, that you would realign our hearts during this season. Teach us and show us what is truly worthy of worship, Lord. And reveal for us, Lord, the areas in our life where we have let idolatry creep into our hearts, Lord. Lord, so often we don't realize that we're in the midst of idolatry, Lord, because it's, it's not so obvious anymore. But I pray, Lord, speak to our hearts this week. Lord, are there things I need to just shed and let go so that I might uh, spend more time with you and truly be in your presence? So, Lord, bless us this week as we do this. Um, Speak to our hearts, Lord. We know that you are faithful, and when we seek you, when we draw near to you, Lord, you draw near to us. So we pray all this in faith, hope, and joy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.